1: The good with the second selection of the 2013 first year player draft, the Chicago Cubs select Chris Bryant, third baseman from the University of San Diego. The bad. With the 23rd selection, the Chicago White Sox select Jared. Mitchell and the Ugly. I'm told that they are set on a five-round draft now. They did try a proposal with 10 rounds, but severely limited the dollars, and the union uh, decided to reject that and hope that the uh, the MLB would come back with a better proposal of a 10-round draft, but instead MLB, which had the right, based on the agreement that they would made originally, uh, to just impose a five-round draft. It's time for Hit and Run with your host, Matt Spiegel.
0: Oh, people, people, good morning to you on a glorious Sunday morning. Hope you are well. Hope you and your family are safe. Hope you are sane. Hope you are passionately expressing yourself in the midst of intense issues in every direction and that you are feeling loved supported happy as possible and that's it good night everybody thanks a lot thanks so much for listening i mean really what else is there to say okay a lot that's the point a lot it is hit and run the scores venerable baseball show (laughs) thank you for the closing music but no i've got more we're just getting rolling we've got a lot going on today Because there's a lot going on in baseball. It's amazing how much there is going on, especially since there are no games. There are no games at all. There continue to be no games. My anger is is large. My fire and passion is, is vast. In terms of my frustration with the sides and where we are, we'll get to that in a little bit. But let me tell you what's going on because there is a lot going on. This is the week of the MLB draft. Never before has the MLB draft had the kind of focus in the athletic universe that it will have this week. It's a really good time for it only to be five rounds long. Well, at least you'll be able to sort of follow along and pay attention. They're doing it at night, they're doing it over the course of two nights. This is, um, this is something they've started a little while ago. And now two television networks are involved, both MLB Network and ESPN. The The Cubs and the White Sox have first-round picks. We talked to Mike Shirley, the scouting director for the White Sox, yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse about their number 11 pick. There is Cubs stuff and White Sox stuff to preview. There's also the draft in general, as they're going to try and make it an entertaining television project product um, as they have in recent years but this year they really have a chance to do it hell they watched the nfl do it give us the best live sporting event we've had over the past few months with all due respect to the match with tiger and phil and peyton and tom and of course all due respect to the world of marble racing which has just been awesome it's always been awesome but who knew just how much you'd need it and how awesome it would be in the midst of this. But anyway, so it's the draft this uh, upcoming week. We'll talk about the White Sox draft with James Fox, who will uh, join us. And um, looking forward to that, uh, James, uh, editor over at Future Sox, writes over at Southside Pen and I've been on his podcast, so let's have him on our show today and talk some White Sox draft. We'll do that at 940 at 10 o'clock, Dimitri Young. Is going to join us. You remember Dmitri Young? If you're my age or anywhere within 10, 15 years on either side, you remember the prime and heyday of Dimitri Young. Really good hitter. Big, large, and agile man. Excellent athlete with hand eye coordination. First baseman, comeback player of the year for the Nationals one year. Uh, a big part of the Tigers, a former first round pick of the Cardinals. Took a long time in the minor leagues but then got his act together, made it to the bigs, and had a pretty nice career. We'll talk to Demetri Young, who's now a podcaster and also has a history in baseball card collecting I did not know, like big-time, elite, top-line baseball card collecting. So you'll hear from Dimitri Young at 10 o'clock. Looking forward to that conversation. If you missed it a couple of months ago when we talked to Mount Carmel shortstop and former Jackie Robinson West shortstop, Ed Howard, we'll play you a chunk of that in the 10 o'clock hour. Ed Howard's going to be a first-round pick. In the MLB draft this week. Might be the White Sox. Might not be. But he, he's, he's a really good kid. And uh, a fun, interesting listen. So you'll hear from Ed Howard later on. Our own Bruce Levine, the Scores Baseball Insider, will join us at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. Give us the latest on where things stand with negotiations and deadlines and non-deadlines and possibilities and such for this week. And then J.J. Cooper from Baseball America will join us at 11.20. And we'll talk some draft with him, but really some minor leaguers. Remember um, a few weeks ago when the Oakland A's announced they weren't going to pay their minor leaguers anymore? And the baseball public went kind of crazy. Like, really, you can't afford to pay your minor leaguers $400 a week. You can't do that. Some of us are paying our barbers, even though we haven't been able to get haircuts. Some of us are paying piano teachers, even though our son has not been able to meet with his piano teacher. Because, man, people who need it more should not be victimized here during the pandemic. Well, a lot of people got upset. The A's have backtracked. The owner of the Oakland A's has backtracked due to the public pressure. So we'll talk about that among other things with JJ Cooper. And then our man, Chris Kamka, the Sultan of stat from NBC sports, Chicago will tie the room together like a nice area rug at around 1140. When we're done, we will go to Mark Grody right here on the score. He's after me coming up at noon So looking forward to uh, saying hello to Mark uh, right around noon. And then it is on with the day. In the meantime, your phone calls and your texts can all come at us through one number. It is 312-644-6767. That short code you used to use doesn't work anymore. So please... Uh, Just use this one. Put it in your phone. 312-644-6767. You can reach me that way. You can always call and talk baseball with us here on Hit and Run at that same phone number. You can tweet me at Matt Spiegel 670. What else? Uh, You can do all sorts of other things. But those are the biggies, really. And this hour on The Score is brought to you by Shelton Fireworks, home of the big ones. Did I already do that? If I did, they got two and good for them. Good morning, everybody. Here's what's going on. I am trying to remain positive, trying to hold on to the optimism that certain things should provide in terms of whether and when we get baseball. Um, Teams are getting ready. Teams are getting ready and they're assuming that some kind of deal will be in place and they have to get ready. We've talked about that, how they're getting ready for spring training. Some players who've been in Arizona have gotten in their cars and are road tripping back to Chicago and have probably made it back now. Ian Happ at Dakota Meccas made it back. There is, there's been progress in that the, the owners, the MLB owners, have flat out said, well, we're going to play. We'll just institute this 48-game season on you. And the players are like, "Uh, well, that's weird. Shouldn't do that. But we have other stuff to talk about. But it's odd, awkward progress of sorts. But when will that baseball happen if it happens? Maybe August 1st. Can you imagine if baseball gets beaten back to the public market by the NBA? And this opportunity, this summer, this, this moment in time for the sport that we love, our game, if you will. For the sport that we love to, um, to seize the American attention and offer itself up at a time when we could all use some stuff to watch and enjoy and distract and, and revel in some beauty to see. Can you imagine if they miss this opportunity and we sit here and we watch them negotiate as we have instead. And then we watch them not get together for spring training when they could be. Then we watch them not be playing when they could be. Can you imagine that? I have grown so frustrated with both sides. I mean, the, the, the players' union, with that statement they made the other day, flexing their inactive muscles, showing how strong they are, how tough they are, and yet saying that they're not going to do anything. Catch that? That there won't be another offer, that they're waiting to hear back from the owners. And the commissioner, the, the commissioner saying that, well, we'll just walk away from the table and we'll we'll do this and just maybe institute the season. They're not talking. They're not. They're not in active negotiations. They should be in a room sorting this out right the hell now. This entire weekend. Should be spent actively discussing in good faith with slowly building trust as they try and figure out a way to come back. But they're not. They're not doing that. It's just it's an ugly harbinger of what's to come in terms of a big collective bargaining agreement discussion. And it's an ugly reminder of the decades of mistrust that has been there. I just want them all to cram it. Just cram it. Just stick your words in your in your freaking boot. Don't tell us stuff. And you could not listen. I know a lot of people around the game trying not to listen, trying to just like put their head in the sand and then, or put their head underwater and then come up for air in a couple of weeks. Like, oh, here we go. All right, there we go. But it's not happening. It's baseball's time to shine. And instead they're inactive and they are frustrating. And both sides deserve blame. Now, if baseball comes, it will make me smile. Tell me you will stay and make me smile. It will. And, and I, I will welcome it and I'll be thrilled to have it. But I know that some of you are not going to be thrilled to have it. Some of you are going to be, you know what, screw you. I, I didn't like watching you fight and listening to you fight. And then you denied us some, at least a month of this. And you made it about yourselves instead of, Trying to bring a business back, bring an entertainment entity back. So not everybody's going to come back. Because here's the thing. Like, I, I love the game more than anybody. Damn it. And I'll show you. Let's get competitive about how much we love the game. No, but here, I need to admit that I have found other ways to fill my time. Haven't you? I mean, we have, we've had to. I've watched all sorts of things on, uh, on Netflix and other streaming devices. Boy, I recommend the Miles Davis documentary. If you haven't watched that and you have even a tangential interest in Miles Davis or you just want to know why the man was the king of cool, why he's referenced in what, wh- which Sandler movie is it? It's not Happy Gilmore. It's Billy Madison, right?
1: Yeah, you're not cool unless you pee your pants, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: If, if, you know, if the Miles Davis of pee in your pants, essentially, right? If pee in your pants is cool, just call me Miles Davis. If you want to know why people thought and think that Miles Davis is the height of cool, watch that. It's just so fabulous and tremendous and will make you uh, make you open your ears and listen to music. Maybe you never have or appreciate music you never have or find avenues of his career that you never even went down like I did just this past week. But anyway, I have, I have filled my head and my time with other things. Sean, you love the game. Have you watched any Korean baseball organization over the past three weeks? When it debuted, maybe you looked at it for a little while for comps. Our good friend Jason Bonetti is waking up at 3 a.m. and doing games. I'm sorry, Jason. I'm not seeing it. I'm not.
1: Yeah, I'm not not watching it either just because of the time that it's on. I'm watching highlights and stuff like that and trying to keep up, but at the end of the day, it's not going to matter. I'm not going to remember the 2020 KBO season.
0: No, well, and that's. And look, there was a while there where I thought, well, boy, I better, you know, for the sake of keeping up my baseball loving reputation, which I have, you know, lived and earned out of just habits, you know, out of the actual life that I've lived. I um I I thought, oh boy, I I better pay attention. But no, no. Come back, M L B. And when they come back, I will be back. But I'm sure that some of you will not. As always we can talk about it. 312 644 6767. I'm disappointed and I'm I'm even I'm disappointed to be in this frustrated place. But it is the truth. And I'm not alone. You know who loves baseball? You know who has a continued wide-eyed innocence and happiness at the beauty and majesty of the game and the numbers and the nerdery of the game? Tim Kirkchin, Tim Kirkjian from ESPN. Just terrific. You know, if I was to talk about some of the guys who I love to read and just listen to, think about the game Jason Stark is there. Tim Kirkjian is there. Of course, Peter Gammons. You know, certain guys who just love it as much as, as anyone and bring a zest and a zeal and an intellect to it. I love the way Kirkjian thinks about the game. But Kirkjian is living in the pessimistic place a little bit where I am. This is Tim Kirkjian from the ESPN podcast. This is from the Baseball Tonight podcast i do believe yes it's the baseball tonight podcast and tim kirchen is is in a down moment in his particular thought process about whether there will be baseball or not in 2020
1: well i was actually mildly optimistic earlier this week when i recognized that major league baseball is determined to play a season of some kind and that rob manfred one way or another would figure out a way for this to happen because he understands the dangers and the damage when you don't play a season or miss a significant portion. I actually thought that things were going to start to move in the right direction and they were going to talk the players into playing fewer games, get the full pro rated, play a full postseason, and be done before a next virus comes. I was actually Mildly optimistic five days ago, and now that has all changed for me. And when you saw what the union wrote yesterday, and I've seen this buster, oh gosh, so many times over the years, 1981, 94, 95, when someone comes out and writes something like that, it just now makes me believe more than ever that I'm not sure, but I don't think we're going to play this year. And boy, do I hope I'm wrong.
0: It's Tim Kirkchin, He hopes he's wrong. I hope he's wrong, too. He doesn't even think they're going to play. He's not even talking about August 1st. He doesn't even think they're going to play because of that statement. And we try not to get caught up in this. We try to listen to the venerable salts of this business who say, I've seen this a lot of times. There will be baseball. Don't you worry. Former hosts of this show have written that this week. Host of Inside the Clubhouse has written that this week. Said it to me yesterday. Bruce Levine will talk to me at 11 o'clock. This happens, it gets ugly, and then there will be baseball. But what he's talking about is MLBPA's executive director, Tony Clark, who released a statement on the union's position a couple of days ago and said that MLB communicated its intention to schedule a dramatically shortened 2020 season. The concessions being sought are in addition to billions in players' salary reductions. This threat came in response to the association proposal. And the league's demand for additional concessions was resoundingly rejected. The league, rather than engage, the league replied, it will shorten the season unless players agree to further salary reductions. And Tony Clark went on to say, there will be no more salary concessions. The Players Association says to the league, there will be no more salary concessions. Because MLB said, we're just going to go ahead and schedule that short season unless the players negotiate salary concessions. Not going to happen. So now they've both taken their negotiating ball and gone home at the moment. And something dramatic needs to happen to, to save the very possibility of baseball. You heard, Kirk, not just the August 1st, 48 Gamer, but the very possibility of it. I didn't think we'd get here. And how pathetic it will be. How angry it will make me and so many others if they don't play because they can't sit at a table and talk to each other. Don't drive off this cliff, Jason Stark wrote a couple of weeks ago. They're driving off of it. Right now, they're Thelma and Louise careening towards the edge top down those those bandanas around the head what do they call those those hair babushkas i don't know what those things are called babushkas i think right that's what they're wearing to keep the hair from flapping wildly in the wind but baseball is driving towards that cliff about to careen off of it i don't want to roll credits 6.70, the score is where you are. It's hit and run, the baseball show. I'd love to be talking actual baseball. You know what we're going to talk about when we come back? The draft. Because the draft is upcoming, and the guy who's going to go number 1, almost assuredly, plays a position that does not usually go number 1. Let's talk about that, why it doesn't, and why it ties in to what one local team did just last year. We'll do that next. James Fox will talk White Sox draft with us in detail at about 9.40. Dimitri Young, Dimitri Hook, coming up at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. That's all right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and medella is your reward. medella the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown
1: Port, Chicago, Illinois. Shepard flirting with 100 pitches. That was number 93, and it has hit a long way deep to right field and into wow. the bleachers, the top one. Oppo Torkelson his 22nd home run of the season.
0: Ooh. Ladies and gentlemen, that is your man. Spencer Torkelson, the number one prospect in baseball, in all likelihood the first round pick, the number one overall pick for the Detroit Tigers. This coming June 10th today is what June 7th, Sean Anderson. So let's see if I by my math tomorrow being Monday, Wednesday night is the draft and Spencer Torkelson likely to go number one. How unique is this as you're listening to hit and run on and 670 the score to think about this guy going number one. It is incredibly unique and here's why. Are there different levels of unique? I think so. Very unique, extremely unique, not that unique, highly unique.
1: Unique New York.
0: Think uh, the human torch was denied a bank loan. Unique New York. Unique New York. Think of MLB positional scarcity. If I told you what is the easiest position to find someone to play, like where you'll get at least replacement level offense and – you can survive with obviously great defense, you want, but good defense is good, and mediocre defense is sometimes acceptable. Maybe left field, you think about, but how about first base, right? Whenever you talk about the value of certain positions, the value of certain players, if somebody's a power hitting first baseman, you're like, well, you know, there's lots of those out there. Anybody could do that. At a very, very high level, they're special. Albert in his prime, was special and really good to have. Paul Goldschmidt these days is special, really good to have. Spencer Torkelson is a right-handed power-hitting first baseman. It is an odd thing to see teams in this draft prioritize this high, but if you knew you were getting Paul Goldschmidt, you'd take him, right? The only first baseman, Taken number one overall, straight up, no other positions, first baseman. Taken number one overall in the draft was Adrian Gonzalez years ago. Yes, that Adrian Gonzalez, who um, some people didn't want to trade Gordon Beckham for. When I say some people, I mean Terry Bors and myself. We were both there. Nah, you can't do that. Gordon Beckham's going to be, he's going to be Craig Bishio. No, no, he wasn't. I'll wear that one. I'll own that one. A lot of us were smitten by Gordon. But anyway, Adrian Gonzalez, number one overall to the um, Florida Marlins. At the time, the Florida Marlins scouting director was Al Avila. That is the father of the former Cub and White Sox, right? Alex Avila, the catcher, played uh, on both sides of town, as well as in Detroit and Arizona and other places. Good guy. Alex Avila. His dad, Al Avila, was the scouting director in Florida when they took Adrian Gonzalez. Now he's the big boss in Detroit. And most expect him to make Torkelson the second straight-up first baseman to go number one overall. In the past 20 drafts, you know how many first basemen have gone in the top five? Three. Adrian Gonzalez, Eric Hosmer, and last year's White Sox pick, Andrew Vaughn. And what's interesting about Vaughn is that he played in the same conference, Torkelson, the uh, Arizona State Sun Devil, who was on his way to breaking Bob Horner's record for career home runs in Arizona, or for Arizona State. They had a, a video that they were getting ready to play and use for Torkelson when he broke the record. And it was going to include Bob Horner, whose record he broke and Reggie Jackson, other famous Arizona state sun devils. But no, the season didn't happen or was aborted right where it stood there in the middle of March, like everybody's season and Torkelson will not break the record. Instead, he'll go number one in the draft, but Torkelson and Andrew Vaughn in the same conference, big power hitting first baseman, In the Pac-12, Vaughn, last year's number three pick, and you look at their numbers and compare them to each other, Andrew Vaughn, a better offensive prospect than Spencer Torkelson. Man, it just reminded me of how excited White Sox fans should be about Andrew Vaughn. First of all, he looked great in spring training in the limited bite. But that is is an MLB-ready bat. And Andrew Vaughn. Torkelson's numbers are terrific and got better in this shortened season this year in terms of his power, his, his walk rate, and stuff like that. But Vaughn had many, many fewer strikeouts than Torkelson. Just about as much power, a much higher batting average, a better walk rate every year of his college career. So it's interesting to look at there and say, oh yeah, everybody loves this kid Torkelson. Well, Vaughn Is better and going to be awfully good. Man, give me the baseball. Give me the baseball so I can watch these young White Sox play. I don't know if uh, if Andrew Vaughn would be in the bigs this year. I bet, you know, with no minor league season and all the uncertainty in what the structure of the minor leagues is going to be like, what free agency is going to look like, In the coming years, with the necessity for a big taxi squad this year, Andrew Vaughn ought to be part of that taxi squad, Guafi. given the uncertainty about future infection, if and when we get baseball, Andrew Vaughn, part of that 35-man roster at the beginning of the season, maybe not, but certainly part of the group of 55 or 60 that is going to end up working out at an MLB ballpark and a college ballpark as they do their extended spring training 2.0 and get ready. You know, at this point, with what this season's going to be, and as I mentioned, the uncertainty of the structure of the game over the next couple of years, don't worry about service time. Win. Win. So Spencer Torkelson will be the guy, number one, on Wednesday night. And it's possible, I mentioned this to Mike Shirley, the White Sox scouting director, yesterday, it's possible that the first six picks of this draft will be college players. That has never happened. It has happened twice that the first five picks to start a draft were college players. Happened as recently as 2018. Also happened in 1992. But right now, if they are, if the top six are going to be college guys, that will never have happened before. But it makes sense, right, in this draft run-up of uncertainty to be looking at it and going, man, how am I supposed to know what these high school kids are going to become? I, I haven't even been able to travel and talk to them in their house, talk to their family, figure out what kind of makeup there is, do as deep a dive as I can possibly do and talk to people. By the way, is he a good teammate? Is he a jackass or not? Boy, speaking of jackass, I'm distracted by something I read this morning. And it had nothing to do with Johnny Knoxville. Anyway, so Spencer Turkelson will be the guy, and Andrew Vaughn's an even better prospect. All right, I'm going to reference this before we take a break and talk to James Fox. An incredible roundtable happened on The Athletic, okay, with African-American former players moderated by friend of the show, Doug Glanville. It was Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Dontrell Willis, the D-train, And then two former Minnesota Twins and current members of the Minnesota Twins front office, Tori Hunter and LaTroy Hawkins. And it's an incredible read. It's well worth a read. If you have any uh, room in your heart to try and empathize, if you if you're somebody who's been trying to understand what it is to be a black man in America, to be a black man in in athletics to understand the implicit bias and overt bias that people have had to deal with for years and years and years. I highly recommend reading that piece in the athletic and they talk about several different details and incidences, but in, in trying to address racism in the game and how recently things have been an issue, You'll see the story from Tory Hunter and LaTroy Hawkins talking about the Minnesota Twins and talking about how a former player was in the organization when they came back to the organization, Tory Hunter and LaTroy Hawkins. The former player was in the organization working and he had a past with them as players that made them very, very uncomfortable, including... Some some harsh instances of racism. And they went to the bosses there in Minnesota, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and said, look, you've got this guy as part of the org. And there's some real ugliness in the way that he feels about African-Americans and African-American ballplayers. And if you're trying to foster an organization of openness, then you should probably do something about that. And in Tory Hunter's words, Derek Falvey did something about that. And that's what it's going to take. That kind of leadership. People listening, responding and saying, OK, well, we can't have that. And I'm not going to say who that person is because they don't say who that person is. They don't offer any names. But those dots are connectable when you look at the history and the recent history of the Minnesota Twins. Those dots are connectable. And it, it you know, I, I, I'm distracted by the thought process that somebody that recently was in a position with an organization and they were being asked to help train, lead and mold players and build culture and yet they were known to have racist tendencies and actions in their very, very recent past. Sad that it's that palpable and that current and good on Derek Falvey and Thad Levine for taking care of the situation and listening with empathy to those players who you bring back into the organization. That's why you bring them back, right? Look all across sports. When you bring back people like that into the organization, respected people, you're, all right, how, how are we doing? What, what are we doing? What do we need to think about? What do we need to do? And you listen and you respond. So good on the Twins. Highly recommend that as a read in this uh, tumultuous week when everybody should be trying to hear each other and really understand what uh, what some passionate people are trying to say and have been trying to say for a while. It's 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run. I'm Matt Spiegel. I'm your host. Top of the hour, Dmitri Young, will join us. And we'll get into some of those issues with Demetri Young. I'm, I'm curious as to how he feels, what he experienced as a ball player, and how uh, the moments of this this time in America these past couple of weeks have resonated with him so we'll talk about that with him at 10 o'clock before we get there though let's talk White Sox draft what they're doing philosophically where they stand as an organization with somebody who covers the team very closely as good sources within the team we've seen that we've seen those sources and seen that news broke from his account uh quite a bit over the past couple of years James Fox from Future Sox will join us next. It's Hit and Run on 670 The Score. With the third selection of the 2019 MLB Draft, the
1: Chicago White Sox select Andrew Vaughn, a first baseman from University of California at Berkeley. You don't know how to play first base, Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard.
0: <laughs> ah, from Moneyball. That is uh, positional coach Ron Washington telling Scott Hatterberg via the GM, Billy Bean. Man, who is that? That's Chris Pratt playing Scott Hatterberg, right? Yeah. It's a young Chris Pratt. It's not that hard to play first. It's incredibly hard. Well, but Andrew Vaughn, Spencer Torkelson, those guys play first base. And they got drafted very high. Andrew Vaughn, number three last year. Spencer Torkelson looking to be number one this year. And we brought up Vaughn in uh, relation to Torkelson because a lot of people think he is an even better prospect, Vaughn, than Spencer Torkelson. Let's talk some White Sox draft with our friend James Fox. You can read him over at Future Sox. Hear him on the Future Sox podcast. And hear him uh, sometimes right here on The Score as well. He joins us on the Alpamante Ford Hotline, Alpamante Ford in Melrose Park. What's up, James? How are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. You think Andrew Vaughn's a better prospect than Spencer Torkelson?
2: I don't know. I'm, I'm happy that, like, my team has Andrew Vaughn. So Spencer Torkelson has, has more power than Vaughn does, and I guess there's a chance that he could potentially maybe play the outfield, and I don't, I don't think that's true at all for Vaughn. Vaughn. Vaughn's um, the more complete hitter for sure, though. I mean, it, it is kind of interesting, you talked about it a bit ago, that Torkelson's probably in line to go number one here. and a, You know, a, a right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing first baseman has never gone one before. So that that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, it is, absolutely. Um, what are you hearing about the White Sox draft right now, James? You're plugged in pretty well over there. Lots of collegians in recent years for the White Sox, and – you know, is this a time at number 11 Well, they'll have their eyes open to the high school ranks? And should they have their eyes open to the high school ranks?
2: I think their eyes are open to it. I think they're willing to take a high school player. But, you know, as you've seen looking at mock drafts, I think a lot of the analysts and stuff that are really plugged in just automatically put a college guy with the White Sox. And I, I think that's fair just because they've done it. Um, they've, taken high, or they've taken college hitters the last four years. They haven't taken a high school player since Courtney Hawkins in 2012 in the first round, and they haven't taken a high school pitcher since Chris Honnell all the way back in 2001. Now, I I do think they're willing, but I think it's going to depend on the board. I think if a Reed Detmers um, southpaw from Louisville, I think if he happens to slide a little bit, which he could, to 11, I think you just, you know, they'll automatically do that and just add the college pitcher. But I, I do think, you know, prep hitter is on its table, and I think it's multiple names.
0: So uh, before we talk about some of those specific names, because a lot of people don't even know some of the names, so we'll educate them about some of that stuff. It's not as if the MLB draft is what the NFL and the NBA draft are in terms of familiarity. But overall, is the White Sox farm system stable enough to allow a truly best player available approach, even if they are 18 years old? The state of the farm system is interesting to me because – Obviously, there's a ton of prospects in there, but most of them are going to be on the big league club this year. And when guys, certain guys graduate off those lists, the White Sox ranking is going to plummet um, you know, down the, the rankings of farm systems. Is it stable enough to allow an approach like that right now?
2: I think so. I think it's in the best place that it's been. Like, look, we can criticize them for being behind the eight ball a little bit, and I think that's fair, but I do think that they've like finally you know, made changes that people have been screaming for. So I do think they deserve credit for that, even though, you know, it probably should have been done years ago. I think Chris Getz is doing a really good job. I think they've hired really good people. Um, I wrote a piece this week saying that I would prefer a high school hitter over a college hitter just because, like, college hitters are safe, you know, in theory, and it makes sense. Like, even a lot of the smart teams agree with that, and they take college hitters because, you know, they're up quickly. You have a lot of data on them. But, I mean, look, Jake Berger was safe, too. And Jake Berger is going to be, you know, 25 because of some missteps. If you have any missteps at all with a college player, you're 24, 25 years old before you're ready to play. They could take a high school hitter. He can have like a down year or two and still be, you know, age appropriate in the big leagues by, you know, 23 possibly. So I do, I don't think, I don't think anybody should be worried anymore that they're just going to take a high schooler and he's just going to like turn into nothing all of a sudden. I think, um, they've done a pretty good job with that, and I think while Tim Anderson wasn't a high school player, he was a JUCO player. You know, his his success I think um, has been a bit of a boon for them developmentally.
0: No, I, I think I think most people are are educated now to the point that they realize this is a very different moment in White Sox draft history and White Sox organizational history than it was even in the early 2000s they they did a lot wrong for a lot of years in in different ways but that's not where they are now so I, i respect where they are and what they've done and the changes that they've made and the updating that they've done but just just in case people don't realize what did they do so wrong as recently as the first decade of of this century James.
2: Yeah, so I think since they changed the rules, I think, what, in 2012, they, they've been pretty good. But the problem mm-hmm. is that, you know, when you put bonus slots in, now, you know, now they're abiding by the rules and they're, do, and they're doing things the way they should be. So from what you referenced, if you go back and look at White Sox drafts from like 2000 to 2010, don't, don't, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> um, they're really bad. And that's when, you know, Theo Epstein and those guys would get praised because – you had, like, unlimited amounts of money you could spend on a draft. So, you know, like, a lot of guys get credit for, like, these good drafts when all they're doing is offering high schoolers $2 million in the fifth round. Well, the White Sox could have done that. They just didn't because, you know, it's a Jerry Reinsdorf problem. He, he, he would adhere to the guidelines set by his buddy, Bud Selig, and they, you know, they just wouldn't go over. And Kenny Williams takes a lot of the blame for this. But Kenny Williams likes athletes. But when you like premium athletes and your owner doesn't want to spend on premium athletes and that's how you end up with Keenan Walker's and Jared Mitchell's of the world. So, um, you know, it's good that they, they, they are better at it, but it, you know, it kind of stinks that, you know, they needed rule changes, you know, to catch up to like some of the other teams in that regard. Cause it was a wasteland for a long time.
0: And in that decade when teams like the Red Sox and others used their big market behemoth money to spend over the draft slot so dramatically, they uh, they accrued an unbelievable amount of talent, and once those rules leveled out, organizations have had to find new ways and creative ways to find that next market inefficiency and find that way to do it. Um, but but in the in the end, there really is no no substitute for truly scouting, drafting well, having a great eye for talent, a great system where your cross checkers and your area scouts are all giving you the kind of information you need and finding the very best talent that you can. Um, What is your feeling at this point on the difference between a Mike Shirley-led scouting department, as will be in charge of this draft for his first time as the boss, and a Nick Hostetler-led scouting department in charge of the drafts? What are your feelings so far for the differences?
2: So I think it, that's going to be one of the more interesting storylines that I think it's going to be tough to tell after Mike Shirley's first year on a job. So I talked to Mike Shirley in January at Sox Fest, and he, you know, he sounded like he was going to be like way more like prep focused, but you know, I think Nick Hostetler gets a little bit of a a bad rap in regards to like the college player thing. Like Nick Hostetler was a big fan of high school players, but I think it was like an organizational philosophy you know, coming from where they came from, they wanted to insulate their system with a lot of quick-moving college guys. And even if, like, some of the guys weren't necessarily big leaguers, you wanted your minor league teams to just have baseball players on them. So, you know, they went really college-heavy his first two years. But last year, you know, they added eight prep players, um, five on day three. It was a way different draft strategy. Obviously, they took Andrew Vaughn for the full slot in the first round because you take best player available in round one. But then, they, you know, they added two high school arms, um, that are pretty promising, and then a, high, a raw high school center fielder in round four. This year, that'll be different because you're really not going to be able to do some of that stuff. But um, I, I think I think they're going to be more prep focused under Shirley. But I don't. I, they might have been more prep focused if Haas stayed in that role too. I just kind of think it's like where where they're headed i mean you you have a lot of guys on your big league team who are young who you think are going to be part of this thing over the next five to six years so it's easy to make the argument that you should want to be younger in the farm system uh, even for you know for trade purposes alone you want younger guys in your system
0: mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it, it's interesting the 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 cupboard was so barren when Hostetler got here he had a big job to do just to fill out a lot of the rosters, a lot of uh, a lot of the levels, and I'll never forget how many players from that 2016 draft that he had scouted so heavily ended up being acquired in trades because it was clear they were like, "All right, uh, who should we get? Nick? Nick? Who should we trade for?" Like it was like all these guys that Haas had had more intimate knowledge of than just about anybody in the organization. All right, let's get specific. You mentioned um, uh, Detmers, the pitcher from Louisville. If he's there. By the time the 11 spot comes up, I think it would be uh, hard for the White Sox to pass on him, a downstate kid. But in terms of, of of the positional guys and the high school guys, there's a couple different catchers out there. I've seen them linked to Bailey. I've seen them linked to Soderstrom. Who do you like among them?
2: Yeah, so, you know, Patrick Bailey, I don't really understand the Patrick Bailey thing. I think, and even Jim Callis had said, like, you know, he kind of put Bailey with the White Sox just because of, you know, a little bit of history here where they've taken college hitters and he was kind of the best one. One thing the White Sox have not done, they haven't taken any like college hitters that have been bad with wood bats in the summer. And Bailey was atrocious with wood bats last year. So um, I just, I don't really see that happening there. But Tyler Soderstrom, though, is a left handed hitting um, catcher out of Turlock, California. He won't be 19 until November. to a 60 hit tool, 60 arm. Now, the one thing about high school catchers is is they're usually bad. They usually don't make it as catchers. So the talk with him is that a team would take him for the bat and move him immediately to third or the outfield. And it's not that he can't catch. It's just that, like, it's kind of a waste of time if the bat's as good as it is. You just, you know, just, like, take that guy, put him in your system, and have him play the outfield or third base so he's playing every day instead of, you know, just it just takes forever for catchers to develop. Um, and then, obviously, the guy that everybody wants to talk about is Mount Carmel shortstop Ed Howard. Um, I, I think that's a possibility. He's been all over the board on mock drafts. Obviously, Ed didn't play this spring with the season canceled, and he also missed some big events um, in Jupiter and the PDP league with with a shoulder injury. But look, the White Sox know Ed Howard as well as anybody does. So while. You know, I have a final mock coming out this week. I, I would, I'm not going to put Ed Howard like with the 11th pick, but if it happens, nobody should be surprised.
0: See, that's interesting. He's uh, such an interesting kid, and people will hear from him later on on Hit and Run, had a chance to talk to him a couple months back, and we'll play that for you in advance of the draft. Um, but he shares an advisor with Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is his favorite player. They've now met a few times. There is a father of one of his teammates um, at Mount Carmel who is in the White Sox organization and has been helping with the training regimen. So, you know, in this year when knowing the character of the guys you're drafting is so much more difficult than in previous years because you haven't had a chance to go and visit with them and be them, be with them. I uh, it it might make sense to draft the guy that you know incredibly well and you can never have enough shortstops can never have enough athletic uh, shortstops with real good hand-eye coordination and great attitude and great makeup you can't have too many guys like that on your system
2: well that's the key too is like as risky as it is to take high school guys like Ed Howard's probably about as safe as it gets for a high school guy and Look, you're not, you're not drafting at the 11th overall pick for storylines, obviously, but it'd be one <laughs> heck of a storyline, right? So, you know, the big thing with him is, like, he, he's going to stay at shortstop. He probably needs to develop more power, but, I mean, at least you know that, like, this guy's going to stay at a premium position and he's going to get bigger and stronger. So while he might not be the 11th best player in this draft, you know, if it saves you a little bit of money and you get him into your system and all the other stuff that comes with it, um, I, I could see that being beneficial for the White Sox for sure.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Saves you a little bit of money, says James Fox. That's that's not the path I expected you to go down. But no, I know what you mean. It's just a tangential point. James, a pleasure, man. You're doing great stuff. Thanks so much for, uh, for interacting and for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. That's James Fox from Future Sox. Right here on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is Hit and Run. Thank you to those of you who are out there listening. Lauren is out there in Fresno, California. It's 55 degrees. Taking a walk with Wrigley the dog. Listening to Hit and Run via the radio.com app. You can do the same thing. If you go out there, grab some AirPods or earbuds. What's up with that? Why do they make that so hard to say either one of those or both of those? I'm angry at Apple. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, grab some of those and put us on the Radio.com app and take us with them. Let's talk to Dimitri Young, guy I loved watching when he was a player. I uh, have never spoken with him. Let's do it for the first time ever, and you'll hear it with me and with Dimitri Hook next, right here on 670 The Score.